Welcome to Human First. My name is David Tilston, and this podcast explores the methods, habits, and processes which allow us to excel as human beings. My aim is to utilize the experience and knowledge of experts from a wide range of different fields and to translate these into easy to follow principles that can be adopted by you to improve your life and those around you. Today, we welcome Ryan Carter on the first episode of Human First. Ryan is a certified health coach, personal trainer, and a registered nutritionist working from Harley Street, London. I really enjoyed this episode with Ryan today. We went into all of these different factors, uh, different processes that affect us as human beings. We talked about coffee, food, sleep, uh, circadian rhythm as a whole, hot and cold, and many other different processes. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Let's get into it. Ryan, welcome. How are you? I'm amazing, David. Thank you for letting me on here. No, you're welcome. Um, I understand you are abroad. I am. I'm living life out of Mexico at the moment in time. Nice. How long have you been out there? At the moment, it is around two months. Nice. There's no plans at this moment to come back. Um, Although, saying that, September, there is a health summit in London, and I am speaking there so I will be coming back in September but at the foreseeable future I am just going to hover around here I think. So how's the food over there and is that a coffee as well? Sipping some Oaxacan coffee right now Um, they're very they're very very proud of their food and I don't I always disregarded Mexico food Mexican food and um, I thought it's just uh, it's just corn and tortillas but the way they do things out here is dramatically different and funny enough um the way they even you think it's just gmo corn here but they actually have a a law here which is like they don't give gmo corn or humans don't consume gmo corn here although they do give the gmo corn to the animals here so obviously as a byproduct of that you will consume it but like corn products are not gmo corn here that's what i understood when I looked at that res- or that study or news feed uh, yesterday. But yeah, the food's insane. Coffee, their cheese, their beef is pretty good here. Unfortunately, haven't got hold of amazing oysters yet in this current location, but um, I'll try and do something about that. Is, is that what attracted you to going out to Mexico? Was it, did you look into the food and that? Was it the partly the culture or was it just the fact that you were chasing the sun? Was, was that part of the reason? Yeah, it's it, well, chasing the sun. And one of my mentors, or someone I look up to, is a guy called Jack Cruz. He believes Mexico is a very sacred place in the world because there was an asteroid which hit the Yucatan Peninsula. 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 I can't pronounce that word. Pardon me. And it's very, its magnetic field is very um, rich. So I was, I was there in uh, the peninsula peninsula the yucatan peninsula and then just sort of just moved away from that to oaxaca which is a bit more culture a bit more mexico um so essentially i didn't really know where to go and like mexico was just pick the boxes basically it was supposed to be greece but there were some restrictions in place and it wasn't that warm and mexico is always a place i wanted to be to go and experience and um yeah it hasn't disappointed How's the uh, how's the sun? 
I mean, obviously, it's a bit stronger over there, and I'm very aware your methods after uh, being fortunate to work with you previously that sun lotions are not top of the list because obviously there's other methods you've adopted and looked at over time. So is that one sun lotion is something you're using and obviously the sun is stronger. So do you notice yeah. the difference? Well, so that, that's, that's a great point. It's like, I don't use sun cream or sun lotion. I don't think it even has a place. I typically prescribe common sense essentially and that's the way we need to look around things or look at things essentially humans have the capacity and built-in mechanisms to handle some sun exposure however the idea or beliefs around sun exposure are, are just false and the way we utilize sun is completely dysfunctional basically so common example is in a modern society or westernized industrialized society is to have an office job or a nine to five work that literally 90% of the year and then that 10% of the time you're going to go down to the tropics or to Spain, Greece, you name it and then sit on the beach and then possibly drink, eat some processed food like pit, uh, chips, fish, whatever it is and then like sit in the sun all day and then mm. apply sun lotion or not apply sun lotion and then typically burn. So you don't have the capacity to handle the sun. And there's no denying that the sun is potentially dangerous if, if not applying common sense and some practices, which we'll, we'll, we'll go into next. But like, it's using common sense and there's some programming and circadian rhythms and seasonal variations, which human body has. So like you said, prior to this call or to, to the, to the podcast, like you've been priming your skin already in like early spring to handle the higher UV index, which occurs in the summer. This again is very personalized. This is dependent on where you are situated in the world and obviously on skin type, we can sort of get an idea of the UV index by utilizing an app called D-Minder, which is amazing and actually records and tells you how much vitamin D you're synthesizing in your skin. But again, there's like a circadian rhythm element, which the modern society is not uh, utilizing or has just disregarded. There's a circadian clock in your peripheral skin cells and the instructions of that light hitting your skin in the morning is telling these clock genes to instruct other secondary proteins such such called aquaporins and these are going to allow for hydration to occur in your cell and typically in like a modern society we're bombarded with non-native electromagnetic frequencies such as from wi-fi from telephones and that concurs with population densities in like London or major cities. EMF basically would dehydrate our cell. And we also get dehydration with artificial light, poor energy production, cellular respiration here. And water is a byproduct of how we make energy in our cells. And when we're not making energy, we don't have that special water, which is needed to absorb the radiation of sun basically. So basically we're dehyd dehydrated, we're like a desert, and then we're having that solar radiation, that high UV index, 
And of course, it's going to dehydrate our cells even further, damage our DNA, no doubt, damage our mitochondria DNA, which are more susceptible to damage, more so than our genetic DNA. And like that's when things derail, dysfunction occurs. That's when we get diseases, basically. Um, so we have a built-in mechanism. And again, this comes back down to nutrition too. The nutrition is a complementary factor to protect our skin, to protect our gut, to protect our brain from inflammation. And we see this specifically more so in the Northern Hemisphere or above or below the, the tropics with the variation of seasonal produce, typically from carbohydrates and phenols as examples. So things like berries, specifically in the UK, which would help absorb the radiation and protect our skin, but also absorb those, the light energy and influence that. And that goes back to our blood plasma as well, which is also a way of how we absorb information from the sun and how electrons absorb photons and get excited. And this influences biochemistry, like down to that sort of particle viewpoint. But as a whole, we can step back from that and see how, how our biochemistry and physiology is improved when we are more aligned with our natural light environment, essentially. And you can see that in like epidemiology studies with mood, depression, improvements in sleep, improvements in muscle performance or exercise, cognition, X, Y, and Z. Um, so that's stepping, a bit, uh, stepping back and looking at it from the bird's eye view, but on like a detailed view is like, we're changing our biochemistry. We're changing the DNA instructions um, and everything to that. So you're basically saying there's like, um, in terms of sun adaptation for those looking to build up a tolerance over time. So they've, they've been in office all year, but they're thinking, I'm stuck in here and I need to go out and start to implement these things. You're basically suggesting that there's a local level and then there's, for example, it can be done on a daily basis from taking in the spectrum of sunlight from start to finish. Yeah. And then there's also like a longer term seasonal adaptation where you initiate it at the end of winter or even during winter, for example, through spring. So by the time you get to summer, you're fully adapted, well, fully adapted to that process. Is that correct? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, 100%. So obviously when you're indoors, you're automatically deprived of light. You're, blo you're blocking the infrared spectrum, which is 42% of light or the wavelengths which come from the sun and hits the earth. Um, so you're deprived of that. And that's the biggest thing to optimize straight away. And you get that every time you, sing, every time you go outdoors, primarily more so in the morning and in the afternoon. And that's building up a term here called solar callus which is basically the conditioning of your skin. Um, but also the infrared light is improving energy, it's hydrating. And we can see this in, like, in photobiomodulation with red light therapy, that's basically what it's doing. But we can get this from nature essentially. And then obviously being indoors, you're deprived of the ultraviolet spectrum as well. Um, and you're getting a defragmented spectrum of the visible as David puts on his blue blocking glasses, as um, you're getting a defragmented <laughs> spectrum of the visible uh, wavelengths as well. Um, so yeah, gradually building up, gradually going in, spending more time, 
And if you can make simple imp implementations of this, so action points here would be to like opening up a window if you're in a in an office, if you can. Spending more time outdoors at every opportunity, exposing more skin, increasing surface area, basically. If you can take your office outdoors, work from a, a coffee shop outdoors, ideally, or set up a, um, a home office outdoors, and then just gradually get into it during the spring or even even autumn if you want to start doing it then um, and then you'll be more adjusted and having the innate ability to capture more light energy at the more powerful wavelengths such as uva and uvb so i think that's one of the misconceptions isn't it that just because we don't make the levels of vitamin d that we would do in the summer that light in the winter has no benefits that I think that's the misconception. It's like, okay, well, I don't need to go outside because there's no vitamin D three beneficial aspects from this. But what you're highlighting is the fact that the circadian rhythm is optimized and regulated by exposing ourselves to this light earlier in the day and throughout the day, regardless whether it's winter, spring, summer, or autumn. Yeah, hundred percent. It's not literally a vitamin D is basically an indicator of, of UVB, that's all it is, your exposure to UVB. Um, there's more to light than just UVB and vitamin D. There's much, yeah, there's much more to it. It's mm. how our cells operate to be in that natural spectrum of light, which is like, it's so profound. It's, it's unbelievable. And you're just depriving yourself. It's basically like, you hear all these nutritionists out there, you say, oh, eliminating macronutrient groups is very bad for your health. Well, let's just like do exactly the same thing with light spectrum as well by being indoors and saying that same message. Like how, how hypocritical can you get? Um, but yeah. they don't understand like, even like how food is made from photosynthesis, but also like the indications of like, if you even eat your food outdoors in daylight, that is gonna dramatically change your free radical signal in your gut as well because obviously the brain is the first place of digestion the phallic digestion and that's going to be influencing by your environment and if we're bombarded with that single spectrum of blue light it's going to be telling our brain that it's midday and even if we haven't been outdoors and had high luminous from morning light, we have like billions of cells in our body and each cell has a clock, basically in feedback loop with our primary clock, which is our suprachiasmatic nucleus located in our hypothalamus, which gets instructed from that light signal in the morning. But we have gut clocks, we have cells in our gut, which also has a clock. And if they haven't been instructed from that, they're literally jet lagged and they don't even know what time of day it is. So yeah. how they know to secrete enzymes or to change metabolic flux or process certain things. Mm -hmm. It's not being instructed to, so therefore we're at a disadvantage. Therefore we're basically fighting a losing battle. We're swimming against the tide here and we're making everything much harder for our body to do. Therefore we're gonna be not in an optimal state to digest, to assimilate, to even put up an immune barrier or control 
which is like most people know, 70% of our immunity is in our gut. But if the gut and the cells there, which there are multiple and different cellular um, cells are there, i.e. epithelial cells, mucosal cells, um, goblet cells, X, Y, and Z, they're going to be discoordinated. They're not going to be able to communicate with each other, as well as the the hormonal regulation which is involved in our gut there as well, from cortisol, from melatonin, from catecholamines, and everything else, thyroid hormones. It's just going to be like chaos, basically, and chaos is equal to inflammation. Mm. It's like basically what most people can see is like a train station or let's talk, let's say Heathrow airport. Imagine if the controller there was like the radio signal was basically down. That's basically what's happening to your body, especially in that uh, brain gut access. That's basically what's happening. Um, same thing happens when you're not in the right environment and you're not having an entrained circadian rhythm. And again, like this comes back to nutrition to a certain extent, and the composition of the food, the carbohydrates, the fatty acids, which also have a seasonal variability. And the further you get away from the equator, the more variable it is as well. And we can see this, which we'll probably touch on later is when, in terms of like PUFA, polyunsaturated fatty acids, and DHA as well, and saturated fats, which is like reductionist and demonized um, to an extent. Yeah, like saturated fat is not the devil and there's seasonal variation to this like in the tropics here saturated fat is in abundance polyunsaturated fatty acids are more scarce but in the uk the opposite is true cold weather equals more dha more polyunsaturated fatty acids because it acts as sort of like a antifreeze for our cell membranes to to run better and relay that message back from the brain mm-hmm. as well um so it's just like the complexity is so so insane but really really like simplistically it's fairly like it's common sense basically yeah. eat how eat as nature uh instructs and how the environment is if that so, makes sense of course i mean it's like the other thing as well what you seem to highlight on the, is the value of uva and b as well um and how both of these things work synergistically and we need both of them in order to operate and uh so sitting in front of a window for example isn't the best thing to do because you're not getting all of of the spectrum it's setting yourself up to fail basically and you can see that in studies to show that uva is more carcinogenic which is true um and you can see that in truck drivers or road drivers with exposure to light on one side of their bodies and having more risk or associations of cancer, which is crazy. That's because nature is not designed to be, isn't it, well, the sun light from nature is not designed to be an individual spectrum. It comes with an array and that infrared is what is gonna be protecting that red spectrum is what's going to be protecting you from that UVA and UVB damage, which does occur, mm. but only at amounts which are high and when you're not applying common sense with. Yeah, and it, I think it's, it's good as well. And, and this is obviously I've followed your work for a while, Ryan, and it's um, 
the thing I like about it as well is the understanding and and your application that nutrition is is not just one located to nutrition only but it takes in all of these things and environmental factors seem to be one of the big elements that influence not just the way our gut is working like you mentioned but also that regulation back again like how the gut is responding to the environment and how the environment is responding to what's going on in our body um with that in mind things like you were talking about light do you think that there is value in the utilization of like infrared lights for those that can't get access to a sunrise every single day, can't expose their skin to the full spectrum of light if possible? Yeah, I think it is a very good tool because it's going to provide you with slightly something different that sunrise and sunset can't really do, which is the intensity. And especially if we want to modulate mm-hmm. and give the body a kick up the arse, so to speak. Um, so I do think it's a great tool and especially if you're indoors, like I do definitely get it, but it's a tool, but you shouldn't be deluded to think that I got a red light therapy device. I don't need to go outdoors <laughs> or I take vitamin D pills. I don't need to go outdoors. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah, that's deluded, but unfortunately that's what people are sold and led to believe, which is a mistake because there's more complexity to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that infrared is only one spectrum which is coming down to earth. There's also other wavelengths there as well. So that's my take on that. Well, that's the thing with environment as well, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's not just what you can see. And this is the thing as well. I was always told like, you can't see Wi-Fi. You can't, but now you can download a whole movie to your phone in seconds. So when I was doing a lot of um, breath work, we're doing a lot of, uh, we're going through mantras and this sort of stuff one of my teachers at the time said that and he said look just because you can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist and it he was trying to get across the understanding that things like emf just because you can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't affect us in some shape or form um and i think emf i know you're big into this is like reducing the amount of electromagnetic frequency your body is exposed to so would you be able to just jump on that as well because i think that really ties in with the environment and i know you tend to uh try and move to places that are lower in electromagnetic frequency if you can? Yeah, so magnetic fields are classified as like the, the wavelengths as well as light. And it's just further on a spectrum that you cannot see. And within that, obviously you'll have like radio waves and each frequency has a different wavelength and power behind it as well. So like, well, Bluetooth will fit, will fit the bill with that as well. So like the body is also magnetic. So any system that makes energy has a magnetic field to it, which mm-hmm. we can now pick up with like modern science or even in the hospitals with readings of the heart or brain, MRIs, for example. And that's picking up your energetic field or magnetic field. And that is really down to how the body makes energy, which is via for the most part, mitochondria, and they emit a magnetic field. And that's where most mitochondria are located is obviously in the brain, the heart, the liver, the kidney. And that's where we can pick up energy. And like breath work, for example, is about coherence with your brain mm. and your heart. So heart rate variability comes in there, into that as well as like 
the autonomic nervous system, um, but also a lot of like Joe Dispenza stuff with putting thoughts out there into the quantum field, so to speak. And that's how, that's how things are entangled of like how you're thinking things in the future and then you're gonna bring it in and attract it and make it. Um, but, but bringing it back to EMS, like there's a great book called The Invisible Rainbow talking about the effects of EMF and they influence the free radical signal of our body. So again, like going down to the detail again, we're made up of electrons, protons, and neutrons. And these electrons are influenced by that magnetic field. And this is disrupting how like human physiology works. And the more EMF that we have in our proximity, the more influence this is going to have on our body and set, like cellular processes, like free radicals, uh, signals such as superoxide dismutase or glutathione peroxidase and catalase and change the free radical signal of the body and change how oxygen is used in our body as well. And we can see this with artificial blue light from the eye changing oxygen tensions and NAD levels in the eye there as well. Um, and this, this changes how we process and make energy. It uncouples the electron transport chain and this throws off how much energy we can make from our foods we consume and lead us again susceptible to like modern diseases basically so like what you can do about that you can obviously like simple things are get further away from man-made emf um, devices the phone putting the phone more on airplane mode turn your wi-fi router off at night perhaps maybe get an Ethernet cable going old school with that. And again, like we're so accustomed to like technology being downloaded so fast and like only like 15 years ago, like facts, the fax machine yeah. is still a really like high tech <laughs> way of communicating. And like nobody owns a fax machine now. So like the, the ways we utilize technology are rapidly um, progressing. And as a cost of that, so is our health. And we take for granted this spectrum that we cannot see, but yet it does have an effect on our biochemistry. Although the effects are very slow, they do catch up in the end. And like, this is seen in like the younger generation, like I say this now, uh, like being 34, but like even like 15 year olds or even in, uh, the fetus now, we can see the effect yeah. of this with abnormalities there, with the growth uh, change in the brain size, for example. Um, it's crazy. crazy. Infertility on the rise. Like these are really big shifts. And our genome, our nuclear genome, can't keep up with these changes, which is happening so fast in our modern society. Um, we can do our best with epigenetics, with like UV radiation and natural means mm -hmm. and all these kind of things. But with big, profound changes like that, it has no answer to because it takes generations and generations to, to handle these adaptations, be it from like viruses, be it from bacteria. But with like the EMF, like it, it's rapid. Blue light at night has a massive influence on our immunity with our hormonal cascade occurring at night 
and like basically just a cellular respiration to produce energy. It shifts basically our magnetic field and our blood pressure, our stress response, our heart rate and everything. It's, uh, it's crazy, isn't it? It's like I remember Netflix saying that their biggest competition was sleep. And obviously that that is one of those things. It's a lot of the things you've talked about already, Ryan, are like really leading towards the synchronicity of things in the body, different processes equate to better health. When things are, um, and I know uh, Peter Crone uses this analogy or phrases like dis-ease, whether it occurs mentally, physically, or well, whether you want to call it energetically or spiritually, these all have an impact on the human body. Um, and the other thing that I thought was really fascinating as well is highlighting the fact that we are energetic beings, that we have an electric signal. We know that. We know we've got magnetic. We, we know we're electric as well. We know we have these things as part of our human body. We do give off signals to a degree, and whether we pick up on that as, as fellow humans to other people, the, the idea of connection is a huge thing in community, which obviously has been more challenging during this recent time. Um, one of the uh, fascinating things I, I really want to dive into is how the gut, you were saying about the immune system and the gut and how that influences it. Because obviously at this time, it's very important that, yeah, the immune system is regulated as well as possible. And one of the main reasons for me wanting to get into this podcast and interview people like yourself was to put out good, solid information on how we can all improve our health, which will fundamentally improve our immune system and start to synchronize processes in the body and hopefully a greater reliance on natural processes and not looking to uh, alternative methods from pharmaceuticals to tick boxes that we should have really dealt with using our own effort, our own education, our own knowledge. Yeah, so number one, it would be like to produce more energy from the body. Once we have more energy, we can make better investments and efficiencies with this energy. So we can now instruct our immune cells, our phagocytic cells, for example, to have a respiratory burst and dispose of a bacteria, for example, which shouldn't be there or a protein which has bypassed the intestinal junctions and seep through or maybe an endotoxin and it can pre like dispose of it without mm -hmm. any issues. So our ability to make energy, which is coupled, so entangled to our hormonal communication system of our brain. And this is really aligning with like sleep optimization as well, as well as, as, well as just dialing in nutrition based on the seasonal variation again. Like when we're prescribing, even to the functional medicine framework of looking at uh, health or getting health, they're just going to subscribe the same thing as like, Pharmaceuticals, yeah. take vitamin C, ascorbic acid, take a vitamin D pill. They're not going to go to the root cause of things of bioenergetics or circadian rhythms and anything like that. It's just replacing the pharmaceuticals with their, their own sort of panacea magic pills. Um, so why, so like wouldn't, why wouldn't D3 be effective? Why do you think taking D3, just, just for, for people that are unaware, how could you explain the differences between obviously getting it from a natural source, i.e., the environment as opposed yeah. well, to just popping a supplement what's the difference well, most people yeah most people can can like the idea of metrics which is a vitamin d pill activates 300 genes whereas from the sun activates 3000 genes as an mm. example like which one would you rather have yeah i know 
And again, like people shout out, okay, Ryan, but you're talking shit. Like I live in Scandinavia or the UK or Scotland and like half the year, there's no vitamin D from the sun. Yeah, for sure. hundred percent. But then that's why we have like vitamin D rich sources of fish, not supplement uh, level quantities of this, but we have the ability to absorb and store vitamin D in our adipose tissue and bury it in our bones to utilize when vitamin stores or vitamin D is not abundant in the environment. So there's a feedback mechanism, but it's only modern society not listen to that feedback mechanism and try to control it, try to ignore how nature's designed and how we've evolved. Mm-hmm. And this comes back down to even like society's belief about body weight or body image that we should look one uh, look at one size throughout the whole year, which is like completely wrong. Again, sort of dependent on where you are located around the world. In nature, if we look at wild animals, they get fat naturally in the summer when there's abundance of food, there's abundance of light signals. And again, this is going to change the growth factors of metabolism and hormones and everything like that. Human growth hormone, blah, 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 insulin. And again, this is, this is going to allow us to put on weight and allow us to absorb more vitamin D and bury that in our fat tissues. And then again, that gets turned in the winter. There's less light. There's more ability to fast. There's more ability to burn that fat tissue for fuel, make more energy, uncouple proteins to create more heat. And manipulation of that is cold showers. And that's why everyone gets on that cold showers and Wim Hof method. But there's a natural way of doing this if we allow ourselves to be in sync and synchronize with nature and how food is programmed from the environment and how our metabolism and biochemistry has evolved to. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is not this is not needed to be done in control or randomized control trials. This is literally like hundreds of thousand years of human evolution and the way we evolved and migrated out of Africa, specifically for you, like uh, you and I being from like Northern European descent. Again, like this is going to be context dependent on where you are around the world and your sort of mitochondria uh, genetics from your mother. Yeah. So it's, so what you're basically saying there is that, yeah, you're going to basically store, put your stores away on your body for the times when you need to utilize them. So when the cold comes in, you're dealing with this, you're storing the vitamin D source to take you through that period where vitamin D is lower. And then obviously you start topping up by the time the season starts to change, the UV index starts to increase. Sure. Um, yeah. and, that, and, that's, and that's a really good metric of looking at, for example, if anyone wants to do this and see how sort of how robust their immunity is or how robust their health is, is at the end of summer, Say, for example, when, your vit- uh, when the vitamin D or UVB goes from the UK, is get a vitamin D test right there. Don't, don't supplement during the, during the autumn and winter, and then measure your vitamin D at the beginning of spring when UVB comes out again, and see how much vitamin D you have in your, in your body. And that gap would be a reference of how much possibly inflammation there is in your body, how mm. much gets you how much stores uh, you had. Um, so that's a good little metric there. Yeah, I like that. Um, but again, like the vitamin D we measure 
on blood tests is the stored form. It's not the active form, 125H, which goes around the body and does it does its thing with our immunity, mm -hmm. um, transcribes genes coupled with vitamin A. So like there's the body's designed in this way. The immunity component is like circadian rhythm, sleep, having the raw ingredients, mm -hmm. adding stress dialed in. I mean, it's it's like not worrying too much about like things like vitamin C to a certain degree. And like the vitamin C that most people are taking is actually not the vitamin C that nature uses. Basically, yeah. ascorbic acid is not vitamin C. It's one part of the piece. Is that used because it it's cheaper? Do you think? Is it is it a cost thing that that's pushed out in in the dosage it is? Because I know you've mentioned to me Camu Camu is the one to that I've yeah. started using now. Um, yeah. So, you so that, a lot like, more of it. Yeah. Well, you, you need more of the whole food form. And Camu Camu mm. is literally just the biggest like gram for gram content of vitamin C. But like there's more natural ways of getting it uh from food and again like you don't need that much especially like a thousand yeah. milligrams of ascorbic acid per day or going even higher than that or iv like and again like it, it doesn't dismiss or say that ascorbic acid is, is is bad or anything like that it's just it's not its true form because there's studies to show that ascorbic acid can be useful in certain things um, but it's not its true form and then you're missing out the bigger picture of things when you're not consuming whole food which contains the tyrosinase enzyme in that whole food vitamin C and the copper molecules there and other cofactors and phenols there as well. Um, and again, there's a seasonal variability there as well. We can put that picture with that when there's more light about, Yeah, there's more vitamin C containing foods. So do you think, I mean, do you think there's a time I know vitamin C has been utilized recently. I've, I've heard more holistic methods using vitamin C as, uh, let's say, like anti-cancer or sort of cancer recovery or that sort of that, those sorts of methods. Um, the other thing I've heard of is obviously the use in respiratory infections. I know in certain areas of the world, they've been giving people IVs of vitamin C to combat and reverse things as opposed to trying to lean towards the drug side of it. Do you think there is a usage for that in, in sort of acute form? Whereas the chronic form, I have heard of cases of gallbladder stones, liver stones, that sort of stuff with high dosage over long periods of time. Is that something that you've heard of or you talk to others about? Yeah. So essentially what that is doing is just modulating and stimulating a inflammatory response, so to speak. So it's kickstarting the chain reaction and programming the body to deal with that inflammation, which is what the ascorbic acid is doing. Uh, so it's basically like a jump start. It's not an anti-inflammatory per se, and it's changing the dynamics of the cell of what ascorbic acid does. And again, like we understand that vitamin C is water soluble mm -hmm. and we're just, and that's the same thing with B vitamins. And like everybody shares that, oh, everyone's deficient in vitamins and everyone needs to go crazy with the organs but if they actually understand it comes back to that piece of the puzzle earlier which is if our cells are dehydrated there's no water do you really think that those b vitamins that you're absorbing or or getting from those organs are really ending up in your peripheral system or where they need to go if we're de dehydrated yeah. and not making energy um 
and that you can take all the B vitamins you want, you're still going to have probably a high homocysteine level, which is a sign of like methylation issues there. Um, no matter how much B vitamins you're taking, because you're dehydrated in the cell. And that's where the complexity of life or these enzymes and processes and um, electron carriers, transcription factors, proteins are all based. Um, so they're, all connected, they're all connected to basically hydrogen. Um, mm. And this is like a special water and it excited um, by light. And this is where like minerals come in to the picture here as well with the electrical potential of water, especially potassium. When we think of potassium as an intracellular uh, mineral. Because mm -hmm. potassium, magnesium, uh, those sorts of ones are always talked about in terms of people lacking these things. I know often you mentioned copper as well. Copper is something that really, I didn't hear it talked about much years ago, but really in this last year, I've definitely heard a few um, people that are very well uh, read in this field coming out and saying like copper is one of the big things we're deficient in because it regulates many things within the cell, many things within the human body. Would you agree with that as well in terms of copper's importance within the human body? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's an overlooked one. And I think there, there is like maybe a really minor subset of the population who can have or be susceptible to copper toxicity, but not for the most. And again, like copper is complex. Or when we think of minerals and vitamins, it's more complex than take copper and copper is just going to be in a cell. Like copper requires a mm. transporter, spheroplasmin, to, to be transported from the liver to the peripheral cells. Um, and again, that's instructed by vitamin A. And again, there's like more to it than just that as well. Um, especially like iron, iron needs copper to instruct where it goes in the body. And again, it's fairly easy to be deprived of copper if you're eating a modern designed diet, basically. Copper's exclusively or more exclusively found in organ meats, shellfish, animal-based sources, although it can be found in some uh, plant-based foods. But again, nutrient density is going to be found in animal foods. And you like literally can't supplement your way out of it. Yeah, that's um, it's going to lead on well to the next bit, funny enough. Um, so just without, before we get there, iron, I know when my wife Ellie was pregnant, she was told to take iron supplementation and I was very against just the addition of taking iron because I said, look, we'll source it from food. So is this something as well? You feel that like the type of iron, um, we need is without this being a leading question. Do you feel that is only located in certain types of food and why is it so hard to get hold of in other types of food? So iron's, extremely complicated and like i don't have all the answers either um mm. there's research to show in like the early 1900s that cured anemia alone with liver there are three researchers i think one of them is called Whip uh, whipple and they won a nobel prize for curing anemia with liver which is amazing just cast liver so have, just i think i liver? think it was beef i think it was beef liver right and Beef liver is going to be a big bang for buck, not mm -hmm. just with iron, but there's more copper. Uh, the copper to iron ratios are 
pretty profound in liver. And this wasn't just the iron, it's everything else that liver contains. And again, like iron, an iron dysfunction or low iron is more complicated than what yeah. most doctors or GPs believe. There's like iron deficiency um, due to inflammation. The body will shut down iron absorption. Free iron in the body is not good. Bacteria gobble it up, they grow. And again, it's a defense mechanism that the body will shut down the receptors, the transporters, because it's not deemed safe. And obviously what occurs when iron reacts with oxygen, there's like rust, the Fenton reaction. Yeah. So that, that's just like a no-no. There's like, to, there's every single food basically has iron in it on this planet. It's very hard to be specifically iron deficient. So to me, it's like there's something not right there if you are iron deficient. And again, like females, perhaps there's more context to that depending mm -hmm. on their menses, either their, their period, their cycle, how much they're bleeding, or if there's gut issues as well. We can see perhaps calprotectin being raised and there could be internal bleeding. Um, there's that to understand there as well. But you can't just like individualize foods uh, or supplements or yeah. just iron. It's a synergistic effect in how these um, minerals or vitamins are utilized. And they all are on different cycles and influencing one another mm -hmm. um, based on like oxygen, based on your circulation with blood, based on the nervous system stemming back into the brain based on your thoughts and your mindset, based on your sleep, based on where you are, based on like your environment with light and everything else. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? It's so dependent. Like everything we're talking about is just, it's, it's just continuing to highlight the fact that everything is so dependent on everything else. So just to say you're low in this, take this is not the answer. It's a case of let's try and optimize the basics, the fundamentals. And that was really my main effort with this was to deliver the, the information, but also dial into these human basics, these human fundamentals that we can all start to adopt and improve our health as a whole and understanding that everything is interrelated. So the aspects of doing some mental work, doing some uh, constant movement, getting outdoors, these things are so important because they do relate to our nutrition and supplementation is a supplement to a mineral dense diet. And that's what I want to get in now really is like explaining something like mineral density, because it's something that I've definitely realized over the years is how mineral dense is my food. Like I want as much bang for the buck as I can, like not thinking I need to consume all these. I mean, I look at certain diet types, whether it's like, I don't know, Weight Watchers, Slim and Well, this sorts of thing. And the incentivization of here's a massive wafer, but it's only a hundred calories and people think they're doing well on that. But the education behind a mineral dense, whether it is a piece of steak or and liver and that sort of stuff, or fish or whatever it might be, is going to give a lot of benefits. So yeah, mineral density is the one I want to dive into next, if you could explain that, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, like most people understand what a calorie is and a calories in, calories out model. But like, a calorie needs to get processed by the body. A calorie doesn't enter cellular respiration. 
enters basically glycolysis, then stems the Krebs cycle, then the electron transport chain, and they're dependent on minerals as cofactors or coenzymes to run uh, these, these processes and metabolic pathways of the body. So if we're just consuming and being reductionist with just the calories in and the calories out model, we're missing and not utilizing how these like even get processed. Uh, we just like take for granted that certain foods are mineral rich, which is just not the case anymore. Like the soil, the way the food's grown, even the way meat's grown is radically different. And that's gonna have, a, a, we're missing out the big bang of the buck here. And that's when we need to prioritize nutrient dense foods and get more for our calories. And when we have more dysfunction, there should be more requirements for minerals as well. But again, like we can uh, go a bit too OTT with that as well, uh, being that we can go too heavy with minerals or vitamins and overload our body. What if perhaps we have a storage of, um, say, manganese, and then suddenly it's just not being expressed, it's not being represented in the blood appropriately, then maybe we just throw loads of manganese supplements on top, although we have a large storage of it, and that's going to cause issues. Say, for example, say if we have lime, basically uh, eats and requires manganese. So we're making matters worse there. So there's more, there's a bit of context there. But again, like our diets evolved on nutrient dense food. Specifically, I'm more in the belief of like, the aquatic ape theory of human evolution. Yeah. And that was dependent on seafood or shellfish to grow the human brain alongside thyroid metabolism, which is really dense in brain selective nutrients such as copper, zinc, iron, selenium, iodine, mm -hmm. B12, and like DHA. Um, and that's how essentially the brain really develops. And again, like if we're eating like a modern junk food diet, like the premise of glycolysis is dependent on how we utilize pyruvate dehydrogenase, which is largely influenced by B1, thiamine. And our nervous system requires a huge amount of energy. And when we get a shutdown in that, like goodbye, our blood glucose um, level um, stabilization goodbye our prefrontal cortex of making rational decisions like it's going to be inhibited there goodbye like our enteric nervous system of moving uh peristalsis and the migratory motor motor complex of our, our gut SIBO is going to come in CFO a small intestinal fungal overgrowth might come in uh and, and just systems will start shutting down um and you can see that there's a great book or researcher called dr lonsdale who looked into thiamine and modern society, especially the ingestion of processed carbohydrates, for example, leading you susceptible to like vitamin deficiencies and magnesium will be a big one here as well. But again, it's like you can go too heavy yeah, in that and not understand again about the hydration of the cell. And if we're dehydrated there, then these B vitamins, magnesium, which is hydrophilic, i.e. water loving, it's gonna, of course, it's gonna be deficient. Mm -hmm. So we can't, we have to take that research with a pinch of salt and understand that our physiology is rapidly changed compared to what it was when we were much more hydrated in our cell because we were coherent with our environment. 
and now we're much more dehydrated. And again, like I really want to emphasize this point, dehydration or hydration is not purely about consuming a lot of water. It's about more so how we're making energy and hydrating our cells as a byproduct of metabol uh, metabolism, how we make ATP. And this is a deuterium depleted water which is not going to be found in high carbohydrate sources mm -hmm. and we make more water from being ketotic so stepping into ketosis and burning fat more so than carbohydrates and there's a discrepancy there of atp production versus like 36 compared to like 128 for example yeah. um i mean you really i mean that's going down well. like rabbit holes there it's, it's like the fat i mean you're mentioning fat so fat and hydration obviously they're very linked from what you were saying as well and we we sort of went into like uh briefly we talked before about how saturated fat has been vilified as this especially over the last what 40 50 years uh, as this thing that we shouldn't eat i even think the word fat in yeah. itself makes you it, it shouldn't be called fat it shouldn't be called fat there should be different um it should be separated in my opinion where you, you haven't called it fat, but you've almost called the different compounds, polyunsaturates, monounsaturates, saturated with under their own um, own title because they're, they're very different in the way they act and the way they, they respond within the human body, aren't they? And my saturated fat intake has gone up significantly over the years and I feel so much better for it, so much clearer mentally, um, still consume carbohydrates, which fluctuate depending on how I feel. But yeah, I... I wanted to dive into fat and a lot of people say like, oh, it's all about the carbs. I should get rid of the carbs. But again, we touched on how seasonal uh, and time of day can make a difference as to when you consume these things. I'm sure for a lot of people listening, after hearing all those things, they're like, well, hold on a second. What do I do now in terms of what should I be eating and then what sort of ratio? So if you could, um, obviously we understand that nutrition is a, a very personal thing. It's not a one size fits all, but there's definitely some principles that could be adopted around what type of fats we're eating and what carbohydrates to avoid, like you said, processed carbs. I mean, yeah, that obviously there's some big, big element of personalization here. But again, like quality really does matter. You cannot go wrong and we cannot go too like deep with details. You cannot go wrong with like a whole food unadulterated diet basically and the minor differences between ratios and all these kind of things whether it's a body weight or whether it's like human optimization there's not much difference i, I don't put much energy into different the the, the ratios yeah like uh, the macros that's what's and again up, yeah. like yeah and again like we can just base our macros off our seasons and we can tailor that sometimes uh with training um, but we have to understand like training wasn't, we didn't read like human evolution wasn't training. We were just living basically. But again, like we have to understand we are in this modern environment. We have to do our, like we do our best and we've become functional. Um, so we can manipulate things here. And we know that like carbs are really important for training. Um, 100% they're really important for growth. Again, some people do better with carbohydrates that could be because maybe they have a deficiency in carnitine for example and can't shuttle fatty acid into their mitochondria or they have low riboflavin as an example so there's some discrepancies and context there but like i just follow the seasons and 
based yeah. on geography. That's going to be the, the biggest bang for buck there. You cannot really go wrong with like a nose to tell, a seafood nutrient dense diet, and the rest really should figure itself out. And of course, it's going to be maybe some deficiency, perhaps, and maybe a push, a push or modulation would help. But yeah, I don't think any nutrient, any subfraction of fatty acids should get demonized. And again, like polyunsaturated fatty acids is getting like thrown underneath the bus by loads of carnivores, yeah. which sh shouldn't be. Like if we actually understand that the mitochondria membrane is a high amount of fatty acids in there and polyunsaturated fatty acids. And it's only when there's uncontrolled inflammation, so mm. uncontrolled react uh, reactive oxygen species there, which is causing issues with things like cardiolipin, uh, cardiolipin, some people say. And this is when hydroxyl radicals can uh, create lipid peroxidation due to like the bigger picture of health due to like circadian dysfunction, due yeah. to like not creating enough energy, due to nutritional deficiencies, due to poor melatonin levels, uh, artificial light, which is going to uncouple our melanopsin, which is a photoreceptor in our eyes and influence like with brain and everything else down shoot of that and our bioenergetics, um, our voltage in our cell. So like it's, it's more to it just than just like demonizing polyunsaturated fatty acids and the quality, which I just said earlier, the quality does matter. Like, of course, processed seed oils is just yeah. like, there's no need for it. And again, like we don't need to eat excessive nuts and seeds. We're not birds, we're humans. We don't need to eat or drink vegetable smoothies per se or juices. And again, like these foods are okay here and there, but like we're not a cow, we eat cows. Um, and we can also eat plants as well. That's why humans are top of the food chain because we have a complex brain and we can yeah. think like that. Um, and we can do stupid things as well. Like we can control our whole food and light environment. But it comes back again to seasons. And if you're eating in season 80% of the time, not being too worried if you put on a little bit of fluff in the summer because there's more plants and carbohydrates out and can practice some sort of intermittent fasting, expose yourself to cold. Doesn't mean you need to jump into lakes, but just wearing some shorts and t-shirts out in winter, you'll notice like you'll be burning fat more efficiently. And that's how humans have evolved. You don't need to go to the minute details of worrying about crazy um, micronutrients, macronutrient ratios, calories. We have a brain that does it all for ourselves, like entirety, yeah. hunger, all these regulation regulation factors. I think and we've but, become mixed up with that, haven't we? Like, I think we've become mixed up in the fact that, like, we've seen a lot of dietary advice has been given, especially mixing in the health world, the fitness world. There's been a lot of advice given around, like, the bodybuilding industry and the fact that it's about aesthetic based training. And people are trying sure. to dial in themselves for for an aesthetic show because that it fits that model. But in terms of human optimal health, it doesn't equate to that. They always say the guy that wins on stage or the lady that wins on stage is probably the most unfit on the day and probably the yeah. most depleted in in, in everything, yeah. really. Yeah, I think like taking advice from like pro bodybuilders is probably 
not very humane uh, viewpoint of looking at health. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, that's just the way it is. People look up to that body image that you've got to be lean all year round and this is the way it is. But like we can, there's studies to show bodybuilders or competitive um, bikini models, they have a, like a found a dysfunctional way of looking at food leading yeah. to disordered eating. And they're like, if you look at, look at Arnold Schwarzenegger, look at all these people like years later and they look screwed because they depleted all their stem cells. Mm. They're aging rapidly because they put onto their bodies a really dysfunctional way of growth, sort um, of how cancer works in the body, um, that change in free radical signal, um, crazy amount of foods. And that's not how humans have evolved. And I think we have yeah. to remove the, these viewpoints about how humans should be and go back to, again, to our ancestral roots, but apply that with more function in like our modern society um, with things like, okay, cool. If you want to enjoy a drink with friends and have like Nando's or whatever it is, TGI Fridays, then go for it. Like that's going to be more beneficial for you in the bigger picture because you've socialized you've relieved some stress um yeah laughing massive thing yeah exactly that you're going to enjoy yourself and that's what life is about and like that's what ultimate having good health is about to enjoy yourself to live your life with full potential and purpose intuitive eating yeah um, i think it's a complete bit of waffle as well is like how intuitive are you going to be if you're under artificial light all day, every single day, and you're getting that signal that it's summertime mm. in your brain because of that blue spectrum and that indoor aircon environment, which is saying that it's it's summer and it's like a stationary life. Um, and you're not getting that hormetic natural stress from the light or cold or heat environment, basically. Yeah. How, that, that's not really intuitive. That's just BS in my opinion. There is something called intuitive, intuitive eating if you're living like a human basically outdoors yeah, yeah. so do you, i mean i mean this is probably i mean it explains for many people why they're on the zoom meetings and then they're thinking do you know what i've been on here 45 minutes and i'm hungry again because they they're just in front of these screens and, and many of us have been and like even myself well, have had to adapt with that well that's because blue light artificial blue light for your eye increases your blood glucose levels yeah that's that's and you're beyond that sort of roller coaster uh, dive and again it's influencing neurotransmitters or a, a compound called PPY which which is going to increase carbohydrate tendencies in the brain mm. which is where our food regulation is at in the hypothalamus in the accurate uh, well, para, paraventricular nucleus and the environment drives our intuition our food cravings and again if we're bored if we're thinking like, what the hell are we doing? Like, am I doing here on board? We're at home again. It's it's hard. If we're at the office, we would haven't we wouldn't have the temptation of our okay, cake. Cool, I got some big chunk of a steak, or I got some cake in my fridge, basically, <laughs> because we're away from that. Um, True. And what and like this goes with like fasting. If we've got a busy day, um, or we're doing a lot of things, and we're very fulfilled with our lives, we don't need to, to eat because we're we're basically 
so wrapped up in what we're doing we're not yeah. thinking about food when we're bored that's typically when we're thinking about food or we believe we're hungry or we get fed like commercials that remind us about food or there's some influencer on instagram showing a recipe or like maybe i do but like we're getting <laughs> these signals about our culture and about society about yeah. food 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 when we're missing out on the ability to fast the so, ability to um to be intuitive with our decisions so do you think um i mean i did a 24-hour fast la- last week and the last week and it was the first one done for a while and i'll tell you what i remembered how good i felt on it like how clear i mean do you think that people that are starting to fast i mean i adopted like a 12 and 12 initially years ago just 12 hours on 12 hours my 12 hour eating window 12 hours off which is quite simple to do during the night that became eventually 16 and 8 and that seemed to be the sweet spot for me 14 to 16 hours off and obviously like 10 to 8 on but for those that are thinking do you know what I actually want to try this because there's been a lot of talk about intermittent fasting do you think diving into it and hitting the 24-hour mark reasonably quick is a good thing or do you think the tiered system which i just explained is probably a better way for them to enter it and do you think it's very dependent on metabolic um flexibility like people's ability like to process and utilize fat as opposed to just relying on carbohydrates the main fuel source so so basically i think fasting is good it's a tool again i personally believe that like you said step hydrate it up i would even start not even thinking about fasting and just say no snacking yeah eat three meals a day don't think about the timing of them just eat three meals a day and just start from there and then start with the 12 12 that and go with light cycles eat when it's light when it's dark don't eat every other animal dino or animal uh, runs like that um so that'd be more apparent in the winter so you're basically saying obviously in the winter the, the hours in the uk and especially even further north you're talking like minimal light hours so do you think that'd be a lot better obviously with the cold in the winter i suppose to do, that to do, to do fasting, yeah and yeah, again and sleep more building up, <laughs> yeah and again you build up to this as well again i think it'd probably be hard to start doing that in the winter like maybe two meals or one meal a day mm-hmm. but that's how nature's designed um when it's dark we're not going to be the best hunters or predators for food we won't be able to see the the, the plant we won't be able to fish we won't be able to hunt of course um so that's that's a line of thought there i think there is some benefits into like some longer fasting but again it's going to be dependent on your health dependent on your liver which is going to be controlling the large majority and your pancreas the large majority of how you switch on and switch off things but for most i think just stop snacking that's going to improve your digestion no dark chocolate 12 yeah <laughs> that includes dark chocolate <laughs> in my opinion yeah um there's modulating effects on the microbiome when we fast with increasing species such as acomentia or uh fecal bacterium presenitsi and all these are really keystone species of our gut microbiome so the body's and, detoxifying itself. Is that basically what you're saying in terms of yes, looking it's, after it's, itself, put it that way? Yeah, it's cleaning up. It's having a chance to process things. It's, it's having a break, basically. Like when we sleep, our brain gets that break, but our gut needs that break too. And yeah. that's when we 
change the microbiome when we're not eating basically the microbiome rapidly changes certain species die and obviously when we when we defecate when we go for a stool that's what's coming out is dead bacteria mm -hmm. from our gut um and it's keeping on top and check of things it's allowing our immune cells to take a break for not having to cross check and flag certain proteins or things that seep through. But again, we need to ensure that we are actually healthy to yeah. fast and healthy enough to detoxify. Because if you were to, if you were extremely obese and you were fasting, you're basically allowing a huge amount of fat soluble xenobiotics to come through in your liver, into your kidneys, and mess up your metabolism big time. Um, so you're allowing too much through at once. Is that basically what you're saying? It yeah. should be done a lot slower, like a gradual process. For sure. And there's studies to show you that the effects of being on an extreme calorie deficit diet for these people with increased uh, risk of mortality, for example, from yo-yo dieting. And that is the burden which these xenobiotics take onto the liver. And we can see this probably in like liver enzymes, maybe ferritin being increased, mm. uh, maybe HDL being low, triglycerides being high. And we can see, see the effects there. But again, it's like working with a professional, using yeah. a bit, applying a bit of common sense, try not to listen to Dr. Google or your, your favorite uh, <laughs> spokesperson of your, the, the diet of the month that you're utilizing, yeah. whether it's a, your carnival God or your vegan goddess uh, as such. I think that's, that's the thing. thing even, and that's the same, like if you're doing a juice diet, like you have to understand like there's these, there's just as much uh, xenobiotics and chemicals, which is being popularized at the moment is sea spiracy uh, with plastics in the ocean, but don't, think for a minute that plants don't have uh the same effect or same same ability to store these toxins and fertilizers yep. that you're deciding to juice and concentrate uh and and it make that hit your gut uh without that fiber uh and everything else like you're not designed to be juicing all day every day it's a lot uh, of it's a lot of veg or fruit in one go isn't it i think that's the thing that really brought it home for me years ago was like juice every morning it's like why is my gut so bad like why i've got these horrendous cramps and when you lie out the amount of fruit that you're blending up I, you think i'm never i'd never eat that amount of food in one go because a portion of fruit nature was <laughs> has gifted us these portions of fruit in the fact that that's a whole fruit that's a whole fruit and a handful of berries or whatever it might be seems to be quite a logical way of eating this stuff. Um, yeah. And the last well, couple of questions said, was like detox. Like, do you think these juices, well, I'm pretty sure I know what your answer is going to be on this one. No. Detoxing <laughs> juices, do they work? No. I would just go for a more natural way of, if you wanted to improve your detoxification, naturally, sleep better, fast, don't snack reduce your stress levels. And again, the way we detoxify is gonna be dependent on the signal from the brain, relayed back to the nervous system to allow for more fat burning, especially when we're burning fat from more parasympathetic tone. And again, that's gonna be influencing our blood glucose levels. Just how many more relaxed us. parasympathetic, yeah. More, yeah. more relaxed state. Gonna, yeah, we're gonna be burning and utilizing more um, fatty acids for beta oxidation to occur. 
And back to your point, which was the fruit thing, there's an element of like how humans used to eat, which was with our hands. And when you're juicing, it's just with a cup. And like, I, I don't know about you, but like when people talk about like ancestral foods and diets, uh, it's about the ancestral lifestyle, which embodies eating more with your hands and picking things up, eating oysters like that, eating fruits like that. Yeah. I really don't, well, I obviously do use some cutlery, but I just enjoy eating. And the best, the people enjoy food the most, which, are, which is held in the hand, burgers, pizzas. There's a reason why that is, it's because humans have both to eat with our hands, not with knives and forks, for example, although that's what the society has convinced us to do. It's there's an element of like using our hands and stuff. Yeah, I mean, breaking, breaking bread, these things are like supposed yeah. to be that, that in our culture, it's more of a cultural thing, I think. Breaking bread with your hands is acceptable, but using cutlery five deep on each side is something that is deemed etiquette and it's like kids like they encourage children to use their hands in the initial stages so it's okay for an infant as we're seeing with a little one she's using her hands every single day and it's like she picks a fork up uses it once and then throws it away and then goes back to the hands again so but she's but and again there's multifactorial benefits or purpose there she's building up her immune system perhaps she was like rolling on the mud outside or perhaps like she was touching you (laughs) Maybe she was touching your hair and now she's coated her hands or your dog. If you had a dog at home or there's mm-hmm. pets, this entrains our immune system. Our new immune system, especially from a young age, is very plastic. So it's very developing and we present it with bacteria, with dirt, whatever it is. And we present it for this information yeah. to, to train. And that's the same thing with our brain. We train our brain for learning, for growth with memory and this mm. comes back to like musculoskeletal or neuromuscular uh, systems with how we train and develop our systems yeah. um short-term control will use stress in order to cause an adaptation that we can control that we can see the benefit from long term and i think that's the thing isn't it it's like we have to go through there is always an element of short-term discomfort for a long-term gain when you rely on the fact that things are going to be good long-term and do nothing it's very different. Like you're not going to get those benefits if you don't put some effort in, in the initial stages. So there is always something that comes from that. Um, the last thing I wanted to touch on before we start to wrap it up, this is a big one, cholesterol. Um, we won't go too deep on it because I know we could be here for a long time, but cholesterol, I think recently there's been a lot of stuff coming out about how important cholesterol has been, especially during the current period and how people with slightly higher cholesterol have done slightly better, whether those, I, I need to actually see the studies, but I know it's been talked about. I do know that higher cholesterol in men, especially as we get older, is something that's quite important for a number, well, and ladies as well, for transportation of certain things around the body. Um, and again, this is another thing that's been vilified. Like I don't think people understand how cholesterol changes. There's different parts of it and how some parts are slightly better as a metric and other parts are a sign of things being, how do you say, unhealthy in the human body. Yeah, I mean, we need cholesterol. It's embodied in our cell membranes, uh, specifically in our brains as well. Without it, literally we wouldn't survive. And like cholesterol showed up when 
higher species or complex life forms occurred with oxygen and without it like life wouldn't be what it is it's like the, the premise or the backbone of all hormones basically vitamin d be be a prime example of that how cholesterol is sulfated to make basically vitamin d um Again, there's like context with some particles or lipoproteins that go around and transport cholesterol. So there's context around that. Again, like we can see, I, I don't think it's a great marker at saying like definitive statements either. There's like those mm -hmm. are contexts, HDL, LDL, triglycerides to factor in. Yeah, the LDL as well. Yeah. All, yeah, all these kind of things. And generally, like mm. the body regulates its cholesterol levels. And if you're trying to control it by lowering it, like the, why would the body want to increase something? It doesn't do it for no apparent reason. It's a symptom of, yeah, not the cause, yeah. Example, it might want to increase its cholesterol levels because there's more cell membrane damage. It might want to increase its cholesterol levels because there's endotoxemia. So defragmented outer cell, um, sort of cell walls of bacteria seeping through our guts therefore cholesterol comes into the scene to bind it and transport it back to the liver as an example or it might need some more hormones to be made combine that with vitamin a and thyroid hormones creates pregnenolone uh, the mother steroid hormone of the body um so like nature doesn't make mistakes really and it's again like the issue with cholesterol is that it's basically like the fire or ambulance and it's on the scene of the crime but yeah. if they remember what is that premise of the the cholesterol for example in atherosclerosis or plaque formation it's typically to mop up and um put back the cell membrane from injury but it's only because of oxidation mm. redox reduction oxidation oxidation equals loss of electrons Redox is gain of electrons. So think of it as oil rig. Oxidation is loss, reduction is gain. Mm. It's because we've only oxidized the cholesterol there because of inflammation, reaction, oxygen species. Perhaps there's poor blood flow. Perhaps you're not going out in light and getting that UVA to vasodilate um, for the nit endothelial nitric oxide to be released yeah. and help uh, improve blood flow there. And maybe that's why you have high blood pressure. And again, cholesterol needs to be put into perspective with other factors, be it with age, be it with blood pressure, mm. um, be it with smoking, be it with like other factors of inflammation and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so like cholesterol is not the devil. Cholesterol is not a bad thing, consuming it. And again, there's a difference between consuming it, which doesn't really affect your innate cholesterol levels compared to what your body makes from cholesterol, which is typically made as a byproduct of a lot of energy, even either overflow or even not being shuttled into the mitochondria for energy. Therefore it builds up and it sends a, um, goes down the pathway of making cholesterol. And again, the cholesterol pathway typically gets blocked uh, via statins as an example. And as a result of that, we can't make or produce ubiquinol uh, coenzyme Q10, which is an electron carrier in the electron transport chain, and therefore we're not even going to be making energy if we start blocking That's these crazy. natural ways uh, that the body's designed to do.
Um, yeah. And like there's some people who believe that cholesterol is basically like an oxygen sink because it contains 11 molecules of oxygen. Therefore, if we're not utilizing oxygen properly in the body, maybe we can't breathe properly. This is where breath hold comes in and how it affects our uh, electron transport chain um, with the disassociation of oxygen from carbon dioxide. Maybe this is a sink and that's why our cholesterol gets raised because the oxygen is not being utilized in metabolism to transfer the final stage of electron transport change and it's yeah. building up. Therefore, we're making cholesterol. Uh, so there's like discrepancies like that. And again, there's like, I'm sure there's discrepancies in certain uh, geographical populations around the world, um, genetic SNPs as well, um, and all these kind of things. But generally, you've got low inflammation, not inflamed. Uh, if you're not oxidizing uh, proteins, glucose, uh, fatty acids, then there's no real issue per se. So you're basically saying that it's on by saying it's on the scene of the crime, it tends to be present when many things could be occurring. So it's worth having someone look at it, a professional like yourself or someone else so they can dive into the other factors. Or it's also worth just cleaning up these fundamental human habits that we've been talking about today and then just seeing if these things change yeah, I mean, because yeah. it's very likely they yeah, might. Fundamentally, always clean up your habits. Don't take like these fundamentals for granted basically but it's very easy to take it for granted because we're not told this we're not educated about this via the health professionals in our areas or from the top from the government like within this pandemic no one told you how to look after your body yeah they told you what to do to prevent the the, so the the virus but they didn't tell you how to look after your body they shut down which most people believe was the thing that helps their immunity, which was exercise. But then it, they, they locked the, the book. What I found the most like puzzling thing was, was like they, they made us a prison of our homes basically as well for a large majority of the time, especially when it was summer uh, last year. Yeah. We were told to stay indoors, which was just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I, and I, th I think that's the value, isn't it? I mean, obviously from what we talked about, it shows the value in, um, yeah, being outdoors and actually utilizing that. So I think really trying to get this stuff across to people, it's like we can do more than we think for our health. And it's not a case of we're not always affected by the stimulus. There is a mediation that occurs within the human body and it goes through a filter, depending how strong and resilient we are and how adapt adapted to whatever that might be depends on how we react to it. So it's not a case of option A equals option B. It could be one of a million different things because everyone has such such different lifestyles and different factors that affect them. And that actually leads yeah. on well to the last thing is to wrap it up. Um, what I want to do with everyone on these podcasts is uh, I'm keen to leave the listeners with some simple routines that they can adopt and apply on a daily basis. So in summary, keeping it really simple, if you were to dial it down to like the optimal things or the simplest things, what principles would be at the top of your list to form the foundation of human health, or in other words, a human first approach. Sure. So it's spend more time in nature and try to like not cover up as well. So expose more skin to nature. And that includes not wearing sunglasses or contacts mm -hmm. as safe as possible to eat as we have evolved. So more ancestral, to basically just live a more ancestral life 
and more in tuned with nature and that's like personalized to where you find yourself in in the world so that that's it really once that starts occurring literally you notice your breathing improving your sleep improving the way you respond to situations improving the way you can think will start to improve and obviously when you start thinking better you make better decisions and you can start investing in different things and start taking control of your health um, maybe that will show up with like more finances into your life therefore you can invest more and the cycle continues and, and continues um, so yeah I hope that hope that makes sense think about things more on the, like a common sense perspective question things mm-hmm. uh, and have like have a purpose instead of like being feeling trapped with like the walls caving in start like building a tunnel start putting up a scaffolding and you can sort of see that like that light at the end of a tunnel so to speak and go towards that and that light at the end of a tunnel is like your goals not just health goals of like relieving your headaches but like proper goals like when I improve my energy I'm going to run a marathon or whatever it is I want to grow up and see my grandchildren like real real purpose and goals and then you don't need to think about like these health issues, which can easily like spiral out of control and then get caught up with things. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, don't sweat the small stuff. Get back, yeah. back to basics and spend more time outdoors. It's awesome. I like those. And, well, you just summarized my waffling for like two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> in, in, in a sentence. <laughs> you said it good. You said it good. Um, awesome. So where can we find you, Ryan? My website, which is www livevitae.com so that's l-i-v-e v-i-t-a-e.com and instagram same thing levite and just email me uh, if you have any questions or if you want to share something with me um happily discuss that on email awesome absolute pleasure mate thank you very much for joining me today and yeah we'll uh, we'll keep in touch but it'd be awesome to get you back on the later stage because there is a lot of notes we didn't even touch on today so appreciate it Thanks, Ryan. Thank you, David. A pleasure. Thank you for joining myself and Ryan on the first episode of Human First. I think Ryan explained it very well in terms of how everything that we do, in terms of what we expose ourselves to, what we eat, the way we think, the way we move, is all going to play a key part in our overall health. So it's very important to understand how each of these processes can start to be built into our daily habits and also that it doesn't have to be too complex in order to create a good, healthy existence. If you have any questions regarding this episode, some of the things that might have come up, find them through to myself or Ryan, and we'll be more than happy to get back to you. See you again next week.